Hey, it's us, Amanda and Megan. Glad you're here. Grab your juice box. Let's dive right in. I am back. It's Amanda's turn to take the week off from the podcast, doing the family reunion thing. Last week, Amanda and her mom were able to record an episode together, chatting about parenting through the decades. And a lot of you were justifiably confused at who was actually talking at certain points because their voices sound exactly the same. It was amazing to listen to. So don't worry, there were two of them. They just sound the same. All right, let me put your minds at ease by saying I've already let Amanda know that she will be trying Vienna Sausages live on an upcoming podcast episode. Don't you worry, someone has to remedy that situation and it will be me. So as for me and my family, we recently spent 10 days in Panama and the Dominican Republic, then flew to Kansas City to spend a week with my family, which is where I happen to be recording at this very moment. So once Amanda and I have been reunited, I'm sure we'll share all of our adventures from the past weeks. Lots of content to unpack there. But before we get into today's episode, I have to share another lovely review from a listener. Is it yours? Let's find out. This listener says, Oh my gosh, my love for this podcast is unreal. It's my mom time away from being mom while listening to mom's stories that I can relate with or laugh to. Seriously, this is just great. I look forward to every single episode and it just gets better and better. Highly recommend everyone listen to this glorious podcast. That's my favorite part of every episode. Maybe. I don't know. I love every episode, the whole thing, but still those reviews. Let me say thank you for listening and giving us the opportunity to keep trying to get better and better. Creating this podcast has been a blast, but it's also been super humbling and hard in the best ways. And without you listening and submitting, we wouldn't be here. So I sincerely thank you. And remember, if this is your review, if you typed that up, send us a DM and let us know so we can send you a little something fun. Now, let's get to the main event. If you're concerned you'll have to listen to only my voice today, don't fret. We have two distinguished guests with us this week. Please welcome my dad, Mark. Hi, Dad. Hey, Megan. Hey, and my brother from another mother. Did that sound right? That sounded weird coming out of my mouth. A little weird, yeah. <laughs> my brother's best friend growing up, Corey. Hey, Corey. Hi, Megan. Hi. Oh, I'm so excited to have them here. Okay. Thank you guys for letting me drag you here for this. But I didn't just bring you two here to shoot the breeze. We're good at that, but we do have a topic to discuss this week, and I cannot think of anyone more prepared for it. We are talking about growing up in a rural setting, the country, the boondocks, the middle of nowhere. What would you call it? Well, I really grew up in the suburbs because (laughs) our house was two two houses from the edge of the country, so we were almost urban. Practically. Yeah. Practically. What did you call it, Corey? All those, but you know, boonies, middle of nowhere. The boonies. Oh, I forgot about that. Out in the sticks. Even better. Okay, if you think of any more, we'll add it to the list. Perfect. Okay, so we did some polls on our Instagram to see just how many of our listeners grew up in a rural setting, and a solid 10% considered where they grew up as rural. And when it comes to where listeners are currently raising their families, 11% of you are located in a small town. That's a pretty decent percentage. Yeah, impressive. Yeah. So anyway, this requested topic came to us directly from Amanda. Shocker. But it's also a topic I've always loved to hear you both talk about. So I can't wait for everyone to hear what wisdom and experiences you both have to share. So let's start off with each of you telling us, about the small towns you spent your time in and how you describe the town, what's the town's population, and how did your family come to be there in the first place? So, I don't know. You guys want to fight for it? Who's going first? Age over beauty? Well, I'm both of those. So. <laughs> All right. Corey, tell us about where uh, where you're from or where you've spent your time in the small town. So, both of my both sides of my family are, are from this same small town of Laverne, Oklahoma. So our only claim to fame there is uh, 
1967, I'm probably going to get that wrong, but Miss America, Jane J. Rowe, is from Laverne, Oklahoma. Wow. So that's where my mom and dad were both, you know, kind of born and raised. But I spent a lot more of my time in an even smaller town because that town population probably, I don't know, 1,000, 1,200 people. Really? Yeah, so pretty small. Um, But my grandparents moved out to slap out Oklahoma when I was probably eight or nine. So the population of that town on the sign, the claim is eight. But if you look it up, it's actually four. So it's it's just a gas station. So literally middle of nowhere. Yeah. Now, hang on. Can you repeat the name of that town? So it's slap out. All one word. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and we're actually not the only one. I think there's like two or three other slap outs in the United States. Really? But yeah. Do you know where the name came from? No clue. Oh, Probably because is... it's slap out in the middle of nowhere. Is that an expression? Mm-hmm. Huh. Look at that. We're learning something new. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, dad, tell us about your small town. Well, I grew up in a small town in north central Kansas, Smith Center, Kansas. And it's, uh, if you really want to find it on the map, get a map of the 48 continental states and put your finger right in the middle because Smith Center is 14 miles from the center of the continental 48. But Smith Center at the time I grew up uh, there was a town of about 2,000 people. They're down to about, I think, uh, twelve or 1,500 now. But, really? uh we had 62 people in my graduating class in high school, so I think that counts as small. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you earned that title. It earned that title, the town. Yeah, wait, Corey, where did your grandparents or parents go to school? So my mom, um, when they started school, they actually, my mom through a couple grades went into a one-room schoolhouse still really? when, when she mom. was young. Yeah, my, my mom wow. and my uncles. Because uh-huh. um, my mom is the oldest, and then each of the boys, my uncle Troy and my uncle Jerry, are eleven months apart. So uh-huh. boom, 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 back. Yeah. And then I think it was third or fourth grade is when they moved to town and ended up going to Laverne. Okay. Wow. But oh my <laughs> word. Okay, now wait, Corey. What did your family do in this small town? Um. So when my mom and uncles were young, they owned a dairy. Mm-hmm. So they ran a dairy. So before they would go to school every day, they would have to get the cows in, milk the cows, and then they could go to school. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. We're going to come back to cows here in just a minute. Be ready for that. Dad, what did your parents do in the small town or what took them there? Well, my mom and dad actually met and got married in Smith Center. My mom was a uh, home ec teacher in the high school there, and my dad was a family practice uh, doc uh, in Smith Center, uh, one of four physicians. And uh, so uh, we uh, uh, had uh, um, kind of a a meeting of uh, ways with uh, mom and dad in Smith Center, and uh, they stayed there for many years after. Oh, I love a good love story. Okay, back to the farm animals. We need to discuss animals because you both have spent time working on farms with animals when you were growing up, both of you. Lots of animals. One listener who lives in a rural area mentioned in a message to us that the FAA, FAA, FFA? FFA. FFA. Okay. The F. <laughs> the FAA is like flight aviators. Future Farmers of America. <laughs> there we go. FFA is a big deal around here, she says. And the high schoolers always have a farm day with the elementary kids. And they bring all the farm animals to the school. And she says it's one of her kids' favorite days. Can you imagine a bring your farm animal to school day? That sounds amazing. Corey's not amused. Are you amused? So another trivia, the the head of the Oklahoma chapter of the of the FFA is from Oklahoma too. His name's Travis Jett. Oh. So it's a big claim Laverne, Oklahoma they have too is the FFA president went to grew up in Laverne. I bet that is a big deal. Well, I mean like a local celebrity. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I just can't see that at our school because people came to school to get away from the farm animals. <laughs> oh, so true. So true. All right. So, Dad, I can remember you mentioning one time. Well, let me back up a little bit. Your best friend growing up now owns a cow farm, a cattle farm, right? So I remember you at one point telling me about a cow getting struck by lightning. And my mind was blown, as was the cow. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> From what uh, I understand. We always used to have this uh, big uh, hot dog roast out in this pasture. And um, we were getting ready for the hot dog roast, and there were the bleached white bones of mm. this cow uh, in the middle of the pasture, and they were kind of scattered out. And um, so I asked my uh, farm friend, Curtis, Curtis, why are those cows bones so spread out what happened and he goes well the cow got hit by lightning <laughs> and distributed throughout the pasture so oh, no. yeah so um cows and lightning not a good combination no, but those poor cows have nowhere to go it's kind of a survival of the fastest fittest yeah least it, electric you, it's a good time to be the shortest cow so <laughs> Stay away from trees. No kidding. Oh, no. Okay. Well, do you each have a crazy story or anything that's ever happened to you when you were kids or younger, when you were tending to the animals? So I have two, but I'll, I'll start with the, the, the cow situation. A cow situation. So all growing up, you know, when I was younger, my grandpa was supposed to redo these corrals because they were really, really old. You know, they just had wire running through them. And every time when we'd get the cows in, we'd have to chase them everywhere because the calves would get out. And it was this huge fiasco. So I can remember we started counting the, the number of times that my grandpa was gonna, would say he's going to fix the corrals. Yeah. Right. So one summer, you know, I show up down there. I think I was probably... 10 at this point maybe 11 and it had already been like five years that we were supposed to fix the corrals so but my grandpa finally set stayed to his word and we fixed the corrals so when it came time later on that summer to get the cows in and work them we uh i forgot that we had fixed all these um holes that were in the fence so normally you'd have escape routes Uh you know if you cows got after you so we're working with these cows, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but they were either longhorn cross or shorthorn crosses. But anyways, these things would rather look over you, you know, through you, than they weren't they weren't scared of me. I was too small. The cows. The cows, yeah. Okay. So we're we're working them, and we're helping getting the calves in and pushing them and everything. Well, one of these calves bawled, you know, and here comes the mom. So I'm running around in circles trying to stay away from this cow and I couldn't get under the fence anymore or, or get over it so I was running around running around trying to get away from this cow and finally got over a feed bunk and was able to get over the the fence finally but yeah that's the downside of my grandpa finally fixing the the corral no escape routes yeah from the cow moms <laughs> the angry cow moms oh my word well I'm glad it didn't traumatize you too much oh it's it's always a good time. That's that's fun, you know, when you're out there messing with them and they're chasing you around or one gets out and you got to chase them down with a horse. But the other story that I have, if, if I can keep going. Yeah. So my uncle was really, really good with horses. And so we always trained his horses to jump and everything. So if we had to get over fences, you just tie the fence down. You can, you know, pull the horse and he'll jump over. So you're never boxed in. Well... Mufasa was the horse that we we always used. He was a quarter horse. So he trained him where he had a set of stock racks. Dad probably knows what these are, but you put them in the back of a pickup truck so you don't have to haul a trailer. Uh You know, you can just, your horse will jump in the back of the pickup. You can tie him up and you can go quick. Amazing. The horse, wait, the horse jumps into the back of the pickup. Yeah. Truck. Yeah, with, with a set of stock racks. Okay. So yeah, so anyways, my this is years later, so this horse was trained to do this for years, and we mm-hmm. used him like this forever. So my uncle gets remarried, and my cousin Cheyenne wants to go riding one night. So I was 
16, 17, maybe, maybe 18. I don't remember. I was, it was a long time ago, but <laughs> this horse was getting older, but he still could jump. So we're saddling the horses and I'm going to go riding with Cheyenne. And so I go inside to, you know, tell her mom that we're going to go leave. We're going to go ride. So I'm getting ready to walk back out and I hear this blood curdling scream. So I go running outside and she was jumping on the trampoline and she had a hold of Moof. So Mufasa, we called him Moof. Yeah, which by the way, the name Mufasa sort of dates the story. Right. Love it. Yeah, we had Sarabi too, so that, no. that dates it too. But <laughs> my my cousin, who's a lot younger than I am, she named the, the horses. But Aww. so apparently she was jumping on the trampoline. Well, when you wanted to get him to jump, you pulled on him and he would push on the whatever he was gonna jump on to test you know, how strong it was. Uh-huh. So this horse jumps up on the trampoline with her. No. Well, gets her knocked out of the way, so she gets off. So if you've never seen a trampoline maxed out, it's it's quite a sight. So every time I would pull on him to try to get him off the trampoline, because, I mean, the trampoline's literally maxed out on the ground. So we, we couldn't get it. You know, my first instinct was to try to tip it over. Well, I'm not strong enough to tip over 1200 pound you're horse. very strong you are very strong so how we got him out was we were pulling on the springs and i was literally springs are maxed out and i was pulling on them and then i'd get them to pop so i had a bunch of blisters on my oh. hand from where it, it popped me but finally we got enough of them off we got him out so he ended up not not being injured but yeah that was horse on a trampoline you don't see that every day only seen it once (laughs) (laughs) my word all right dad your turn you got a good animal farm animal story well farming is very hard work right and it's especially hard work in the winter and i uh, between semesters in college would go work for my friend on the farm and um, this one particular day it was cold really cold 10 below wind chill index and he had a bunch of hogs uh, out in his north lot and uh, you know one of the things you have to do is you got to feed and water the hogs right well unfortunately yes and so uh, the hog water had a heating element in it that kept the water from freezing so that the hogs could get drinks well the hog water froze up and so we had to go up to the house get hot boiling water uh, off the stove bring it down dump it on the frozen hog water to melt all the ice so that we could get down to the heating element that uh, we needed to replace and the only way to do that work in replacing that heating element was to take your gloves off and to reach down in that water and uh, before it froze and uh, you know remove the heating element and so Whenever we needed a screwdriver, we didn't really even need to grab it because we just stick our hands in the water and the screwdriver would stick to our hands, the cold metal. And oh so word. when you finished with the screwdriver, you just peeled it off your hand, uh, taking the hide right with it. But uh, we were able to replace the hog wire. We were only able to work it about five minute increments. It was so cold that day. We'd go in to this uh, adjacent hog house and go in to warm up for eight or ten minutes and go back out for another five and this took like uh, two hours so it was uh, it was enough to convince me it was time to go back to school that makes a lot of sense you're over there nodding Corey (laughs) yeah we I never had to to do that but we would always have to break you know the water on the water tanks so when you'd it was have to, frozen? Yeah, you'd have to carry a sledgehammer with you. And then a lot of times, a lot of farmers will put a two-by-four in there so it floats, so it's easier. You can hit the two-by-four, and then it breaks the ice yeah. easier, too. But um, to go along with that, we had – this is another cow story. So my, my uncle had a cow one time that we, we got at his house, but she she hurt her back leg, so she couldn't keep up with the herd. Mm-hmm. Well, it's middle of winter, and she – uh. I don't know, got spooked or something, but she got in the, the water, in pond the water, water, yeah. Oh. So I don't remember if Chris was there f- with me on this, but my brother Chris, but yeah, uh-huh. but Chase, my other friend that was from up here, he was there. So I had to, 
you know, get down to my skivvies and get in the water and put a rope over her and get her out because I'm not very good at roping. But we got her out, but uh, we wrapped hay around her to try to, you know, save her. But she, she got out in the middle of the night and she ended up, you know, succumbing to it. But, yeah, we yeah, I had to go swimming in the middle of winter too. So, no like Dad said, that makes you want to get an education. <laughs> Man, or at least a heated blanket. Well, nowadays, don't they make heating elements that are a little more intuitive for animals i mean there's got to be a better way right yeah okay things have changed they've come a long ways winter's still hard for farmers uh, you know baby calves are born out in the middle of pastures uh, all winter long and yeah. the the farmers uh, got to go out and check uh, three or four times a day yeah, wow. it's it's hard work yeah well speaking of one listener mentioned that her husband helped his grandpa on the farm hauling hay for horses, feeding animals, collecting chicken eggs, milking cows. And she says, it was hard work. He has said how so many times in life he's been hit with a hard situation and has been able to handle it or work through it from everything he was taught growing up. It taught her husband to be such a hard worker and not give up. Now, from a young age, her kids have been able to help around their piece of land with animals, too. So do you guys think that your time working the land instilled in you a similar view of working hard? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I started lifting hay bales uh, when I was a uh, eighth grader. Um, and I can remember my first job with J.C. Chance. Uh, he paid me a whole dollar and quarter an hour to lift hay bales for 12 hours a day in the heat and uh, you know lifting hay bales was uh, always a, a lot of fun uh, a lot of surprises uh, if it had rained um, you know the hay bale stuck to the ground and you couldn't get it up or it would be problems or the occasional hay bale you flipped over and there was a big snake waiting underneath um, oh. it uh it was always uh, interesting work, to say the least, and really, really dirty, hot work. Wow. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I grew up doing hay, too, and, you know, we, we affectionately call them idiot blocks because <laughs> we, don't, we don't know why anybody does them. But, you know, a lot of horse people use square bales because yeah. they're easier to handle. You don't need equipment right. um, once you buy them. But, yeah, like Dad says, it's, you know, sun up, sundown. You know, and a lot of times you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it for the love of, you know, the land and, and partnership with your family and everything like that. So, like you said, I mean, I think that's one of the values that it taught me. You just, you can't quit. Yeah. You know, you got to get up and work hard. And if you have a bad day, well, there's always tomorrow. So you got to move on keep going. Wow. Well, I think some people are under the assumption that there's not a lot to do in a small town besides work, work work on a farm. After listening to many of your stories, you guys, and after I visited Smith Center, I've been there a number of times myself, it seems like most people living in rural settings have a work hard, but also play hard mentality. As kids, when you weren't working, what did you do for fun? Like, <laughs> you can see it, like, the stories just flashing before your eyes. I cannot wait. So I'm not allowed to say a lot of them. But no, I did. I did set some parameters. I set some limits. We are family friendly. Yeah. But but the only thing that I'll say about, you know, the small town atmosphere, too, and and dad can attest to it. Right. Um, it's more of a community feel. You know, the, the whole community comes together for events. Um, so one of my favorite examples, uh, and Chris, you know, our brother can attest to it, but there's a 4th of July festival. It's, it's not just a, you know, a, a fireworks show, mm -hmm. but there's a whole thing that goes along with it. You know, there's barbecue, there's sports that they play, there's a basketball tournament, volleyball, there's softball, um, you know, and then there's a huge fireworks show. So the whole town, the whole town of Laverne, of right? Laverne, Not the yeah. whole town of Slapout, because it'd be a small party. It would be. <laughs> but you know, multiple towns, um, people from multiple towns over. You know, you're talking 30, 40 miles away. They will come to these big events. Um, so a lot of the fun things that we would do, you know, especially if it was you know time we'd go to sporting events. You'd mm -hmm. go to the local high school game, whether it be basketball, football, baseball. Yeah. You know, and then you do your traditional 
drive Main Street and drink a soda, you know, <laughs> when you're when you're old enough. But really work hard, right. play hard. So, um, you know, we would work all day and then play most of the night and then try to get some sleep and do it all again. Right. Play while drinking soda. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. Water. Hydrate. <laughs> you need it after all those hay bales. Yep. Oh. <laughs> all right, Dad, what about you? What uh, what did you do for fun? Well, we played outside all the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whether it was backyard football games, whether it was uh, front yard basketball games over at the Atwell's house, um, I mean, we were always trying to play some kind of game depending on what the season was. And we had some really good games because we had lots of kids and lots of uh, – really good athletes. I mean, the kid next door a year ahead of me was an all-state linebacker in football, and the kid on the other side of my house was an all-state basketball player and two-time champion in 2A golf. I mean, these were some some fun games uh, that were self-organized. There weren't any uniforms. There weren't any referees. Um, We just kind of uh, ran, ran the show ourselves. But We'd also, you know, ride our bikes a lot. We'd go out in the country, and, um, you know, uh, uh, my brother and I would ride out to, uh, there was an old lake uh, a couple miles uh, east of our house, and we'd ride out there all the time and climb up on the railway trestle. It was about 60 feet high that nobody would ever let their kid get on now and, you know, throw rocks. So, oh, my uh, word. <laughs> you know, it was uh, a lot of time uh, outside, uh almost no structure, no supervision. Um, right. And it wasn't because my parents were bad, but it was just okay to yeah. do. Yeah. So, All right. You said railway. And that made me think of a couple of stories I've heard you tell. And I feel like you sh- should maybe share one if you feel up for it about the infamous railway system and some of the mischief that some kids got into with said railway system. You got a good story for us? I might. Um, <laughs> there might be these two guys named Mitch and Brad. And I'll you, just, you might be just related. Using, just using the names to protect the innocent. But, right. Uh, anyway, uh, the railroad tracks uh, for the Rock Island line were less than a mile from our house. And so uh, on the way to the old lake, you could, you know, you could basically walk the railroad, railroad tracks for two miles. But um one particular day, um, there was a, a freight train that uh, came to a stop outside East of Smith Center, and uh, there happened to be an open box car. And um, Mitch and Brad thought it would be a good idea to climb in there just to see what was in there. Well, as soon as they climb in, uh, the train starts to move again. Of course. Oh, and wait, how old are Mitch and Brad? Uh, they're probably sixth grade. Oh, um, my word. Okay. Maybe Maybe a little bit older, but uh, they certainly weren't in high school yet because they were still riding bikes. But, uh, um, you know, the freight train starts to move, and Mitch uh, ejects, uh, jumps off the moving freight train. Brad, not so much. And so um, the freight train didn't stop till it got to Lebanon, Kansas, 14 miles further east. And Brad had to call his mom, who, uh, interesting enough, his mom... uh, Lucy was the administrator for the hospital in Smith Center, and uh, uh, Lucy got a phone call from Brad, uh, who was 14 miles down track in Lebanon, saying that he needed a ride. So, Can you imagine getting a phone call like that today from your children? Like, hey, Mom, hop to train. I'm 14 miles away. Can you come get me? It would also end up on, like, every news station, I feel like, and maybe warrant a CPS call. It's fine. Might not fly so well. No. Oh, my word. Okay, so switching gears just a little bit with you guys. Every time I've moved somewhere out of state and people find out that I'm from Kansas, there is one question that I'm always asked without fail. You probably know where this is going. If I don't ask this question, I will never hear the end of it from Amanda. But I'm going to ask you to. Have you ever seen a tornado? Yes. Really? Yeah. So I've actually, I've been in two of them. No. Yeah. In Kansas or in Oklahoma? So one in Oklahoma Uh and then 
uh, one in Tonganoxie, Kansas, when I was in in grade school. Really? So it was well, and then there was another one. I wasn't in it, but about two years ago, we had that one go about a mile away from the speedway. Yeah. So it went south where our farmland is, my wife's farmland, her side of the family. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I've been involved in a couple of tornadoes, seen them. But where I'm from in Oklahoma, you just go out on the front porch and drink some sodas and watch them. Watch them come across. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So you weren't scared or they weren't too close to where you were? Um, The one when I was, I'm trying to remember what year it was. It was in the 90s. So maybe 96, um, 95, 96. But yeah, we got out of school early. So it actually went through, through the town. Um, and picked up the air conditioners and stuff, tore up a little bit of the school. Oh, wow. Um, and then went south of the town and through. So we were in our apartment complexes where we lived. Um, and we had to go down underneath one of them in this little cellar storage area. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, a whole bunch of residents of the apartment complex. I don't remember how many people was there, but I can remember my grandma was watching me because um, my mom was at work. And so we're down there and, you know, my grandma's really really tough old lady and you know she's just telling us you know we're all gonna be okay and you know i'm just looking at her and i'm like i i don't know what this wind it sounds loud you know yeah but i really wasn't that scared because she wasn't yeah everybody else was freaking out oh my word wow so now are you afraid of tornadoes no 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 you still you're still a porch watcher porch sitter yeah yeah i i support that Dad, you got a good tornado story for us? I've lost track of how many tornadoes I've seen at this point. No but way. My, my first experience was we were out visiting my grandparents in Goodland, Kansas. How old How old were you at this point? I was probably junior high. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom, uh, my Uncle Jim, and my three brothers were on the way out to uh, their farm north of Goodland, about nine miles. And... Um, we it's getting dark it's like five o'clock at night and it is dark as midnight and lo and behold we look in the rearview mirror and behind the car probably a half mile is a tornado and so my uncle jim floors it and we drive into this farmyard and we park on the other side of the on the north side of the barn the tornadoes come from the south so that you know we'll get out of its its path and it kind of just went right over the farm shingles from the uh, roof of the barn that we were parked behind came cascading down on the car but the funniest part of this whole story was in the back seat um, was uh, I was there with my brothers and uh, my youngest brother uh, Mike um, who now is a practicing Buddhist was singing Jesus loves me. <laughs> as and the tornadoes passing, as the tornadoes are, going, oh, yeah, and are sh- falling on yeah, your car like so, a scene straight out of Twister. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was back. classic. But uh, no, um, another time we were all eating dinner at our home in Smith Center, and uh, the tornado sirens are blowing, and we're just sitting there eating dinner, and my mom says okay i want you kids to get up one at a time and come look out the back uh, door and so we look out the back door and about oh three quarters of a mile to the east of our house uh, was ormel martin's farm and basically we just sat there and watched this tornado tear the crap out of his farm there were silos flying through the air there were all kinds of crap in the in the tornado itself. But, yeah, we just got up from dinner. We went and watched the tornado tear up Martin's farm. Then we went back to dinner. So <laughs> I yeah. love that Grandma made you get up one at a time. Yeah. Don't crowd one at a yeah. time. Please, let's not get in a rush. <laughs> Watch the tornado destroy this land in an orderly fashion. But, you know, the, you may even remember this story. Um I was flying home from a meeting in Washington, D.C. This probably was 15, 20 years ago, and your mom was on her way to pick me up. Mm -hmm. And just uh, outside the legends, um, 
she looked in the rearview mirror and sure enough saw a tornado behind her. Mm-hmm. And that tornado followed her up uh, 435 all the way to the airport, and she hot-tailed it into the bottom part of the parking garage. It had my flight diverted to uh, Wichita. But, yeah, I mean, tornadoes, um, you know, generally you see them and you know they're coming and if they come at you you can kind of get out of the road there it's not like they're going to jump you so um, it's it's not all that scary well I believe you because for the record I still have never seen one and I'm a bit disappointed I almost feel like I haven't earned my cans and badge yet because I haven't seen one so now that I live in Utah my my odds of seeing one have decreased dramatically. It's a major deficit in your upbringing. It truly is. I, you know who I have to blame for that. Yeah, your mom. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. If our listeners haven't already assumed this from your earlier stories, crazy, funny things seem to happen often when living in a small town. So what's maybe just one more crazy, funny thing that's happened when you were growing up or spending time living the rural life. Can you think of just another crazy story or experience? My my uncle will probably get mad at me if he hears this, but well, does he listen to a lot of parenting podcasts? No, no, he doesn't. Safe. Please, please don't hold. So back. school pranks are are a big deal, right? And so it's the Laverne Tigers. And then across the border in the panhandle um, is Texas, so Fallette, Texas, and they're the, the Fallette Panthers. Mm. So you have a Black Panther and then a Laverne Tiger. So my uncle, they tried to steal the Laverne Tiger mascot. Wait, what is it? Is it like a stuffed animal? No, or? it's a statue. It's, oh. it's huge. Like a metal step made from... Yeah, it's it's massive. Okay, cool. Good. So his, context. his bright idea, um, when they realized they couldn't steal it, was to paint it. So he painted the tiger black and a certain part of the tiger blue. So... Um, <laughs> a certain part. Yeah. So needless to... Yeah. So needless <laughs> to say, he, he got in trouble for that. But um, actually, Chris and I, we were having some fun one night and we we thought it would be fun to try to reenact that but we ended up talking ourselves out of that we weren't we weren't going to paint the tiger black because it would immediately come back to our family i'm proud of you two for making that very wise decision it was probably chris because i was talked (laughs) i was talked into it so he's he's the more logical one Uh uh-huh well we're all very grateful for whatever logic was exercised (laughs) that night in whatever small amounts (laughs) logic prevailed (laughs) well so many things that happen in small towns are just spontaneous events that um, you could have probably never plotted and um, you know there are just so many things um, that come back uh, to mind you know one uh, year at Halloween um, we'll use the name Gary this time um uh, might have uh, loaded a paper bag full of dog poop and um, <laughs> doused it with lighter fluid, lit it on fire on the principal's front door to watch the principal storm out and stomp on the bag. No. Um, you know, uh, just silly, goofy stuff yeah. that uh, fortunately, you know, it's kind of harmless. Uh, right. It's kind of funny in the moment, but. Uh, you know, uh, you got to remember you're going to be seeing these people and living with these people for years. And there was always kind of a rule at my house that, um, you know, you could get in trouble with uh, people at school. You could get in trouble with the law, but that wasn't going to be anything like the trouble you were going to have when you got home. And uh, mm. so that nuclear threat of uh, uh, any trouble you got into anywhere else was going to be dwarfed by what uh, kind of trouble you had at home, I think, kept us pretty uh, humble and contained. Kept you on the straight and narrow? A little bit, yeah. It actually led us to maybe uh, covertly cover some things up um, that uh, <laughs> our parents didn't know till many, many years later. Um, like what? 
Well, one uh, particular thing was uh, my dad, uh, your grandpa, was president of the school board. Oh, and, my goodness. And um, he uh, and the school board, uh, when I was in eighth grade, um, fired uh, the junior high principal. And on the last day of school, the junior high principal um, came to our classroom, called me out, and uh, took me down to the gym. And uh, he goes, you know, Mark, you have a very bad attitude, and you've had a bad attitude all year. And he pulled out his paddle and gave me a couple of swats that raised me up off the floor. And, 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 you know, I was not going to let my parents know that I got a whipping at school, even though I didn't know what it was that I'd done wrong. But many years later, when I did tell uh, my dad that and the circumstances became apparent, it was uh, it, it kind of brought things to light. But uh, again, you wanted to uh, walk a pretty straight and narrow path, um, you know, because you could get into a lot of trouble, more trouble at home than you could ever get into at school or uh, with the law. Unbelievable. So the other thing I'll say, uh, you know, and Dad didn't come out and say it either, but your name carries weight in these mm. towns, right? Because they're small, and, and especially if, you know, my grandfather uh, was a person that was really, really well known in the area. You know, everybody respected him. So this was many years, you know, later I was driving, so I had a little bit of a lead foot. Mm. So I'm... Yeah, I've yeah. heard. Uh-huh. I'm, cool. I'm trying to make a record back from Woodward, Oklahoma, to slap out, which is it's where the closest Walmart is, you know, for context. Still not a big town, but closest Walmart. But it's about an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. Hour, hour and 30. Uh-huh. So I'm literally hauling, and I get pulled over. And I'm thinking, man, I'm doing about 90. You know, I'm going to get in trouble for this. So the officer, state trooper, pulls up, knocks on my window, you know, he's asking me a bunch of questions, starts right now on his ticket. And he's like, just out of curiosity, where are you going? I said, I'm headed back to slap out to my grandparents' house. And he goes, slap out. And I said, yeah, yeah, slap out. And he goes, who's your grandparents? And I said, Jim, Jim Wynn and Francis Nelson. And he, you know, shook his head and he ripped up the ticket. And so he started writing a different one and he handed it back to me and he said, Tell your grandpa thanks for the steak dinner. Get home safe. Wow. Oh, yeah. that's heartwarming. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's a good balance to your story, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> oh my word. Oh, I'm glad you shared that. And what'd your grandpa say? Did you tell him? I, I did. I told him and he said he said, You know, I, I got in enough trouble. So he said Dustin the, the trooper's name was Dustin yeah. McAtee. Uh, so his father and my my grandfather were really good friends. So he goes, you know, I kind of watched that boy grow up too. So he Aww. he owes you some slack. Yeah, but we we caused enough trouble. I'm sure my my family got enough trouble down there. So no, I was a decent balance. I was only there for three four months at a time. So yeah, yeah, um, I had to get my licks in. You know, sounds like it. <laughs> but the point of family is is an important one. Um, you know, uh, it became difficult the end of my dad's tenure in Smith Center because he knew so many people that uh, he uh, as acquaintances that as they started to age out and pass away that became really difficult Mm. and um, you know I still have when I go back to Smith Center and it's been 30 years since my folks lived there still have people wax sentimentally about Doc Woods and how he helped him one time with this surgery or whatever and so um, uh, your name carries uh, a lot of weight uh, good or bad yeah well in both of your family's cases it sounds like in a really sweet good way both of those names carry that I I would just say infamous oh so in in my (laughs) family situation a little bit of infamous (laughs) all right we'll leave it at that Okay, well, we also received so many messages on our social media about all the good that can come from raising kids in a rural setting. One listener writes, we're bringing different skills into our daughter's life, more life skills like raising animals, growing food and learning to be able to provide for 
provide more for our family from our own land. And another listener writes, I love the small town feel that comes with rural towns. The people are what make it amazing for me and the schools have been top notch. So one last question for each of you. In your opinion, what do you think the benefits are for kids to grow up and spend time in the country, in the boondocks, in the boonies, in the sticks? Did you think of any more? I have a couple, but I'll let let Dad go. All right. Dad, what do you think? Well, I think kids are better rounded, you know, um, in the city um, with activities. uh, It very quickly becomes one or two activities and no no other activities. Mm. Um, uh, I always liked moving from football to basketball season to track to baseball season back to football or whatever your activities were, there was not the pressure to specialize and have to do all this club sport stuff. Um, Kids got to play uh, different games and try different things. Uh, And there may not have been as many activities uh, as you might see in the city, but um, because there was less competition, uh, you had more opportunity to try things out. Hmm. And, uh, uh, I look at, at kids today and the pressure that they are under to, you know, join the traveling baseball team if they want to play traveling baseball or uh, join the traveling hockey team and play hockey all summer um, when maybe a kid would like to play some baseball or maybe just play yeah. and not uh, have such an organized uh, life. Um, uh, I think uh, smaller communities afford that opportunity uh, for kids to maybe just be kids. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I really agree with that a lot. You know, so I, I think I had the best of both worlds, you know, because I, I basically grew up here, um, but I spent a lot of time, you know, every break and in, in summer in, in small, small town USA. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we've touched on a lot is, you know, the, the core values that you're taught, you know, hard work, your work ethic, you know, taking pride in your work, you know, and then also seeing something through. So when you raise an animal, you know, you're responsible for that life. So it it teaches you a lot of that stuff. Mm. Um, you know, and you just, you, one of the things that I learned the most too, you know, up, up here where we are now, you can, if you, something breaks down, you can go to the store and, and get something to fix. You know, you're, you're so close and where, you know, I'm sure dad's, dealt with this too well if you have a piece of machinery that breaks you know you do whatever you can to fix it or band-aid it so that it can get you through the season you know Mm -hmm. so you learn problem solving and everything like that too um and you you know you can't quit so one of my favorite things i was taught my my uncle actually were breaking horses and you know you get bucked off all the time but you gotta gotta get back on so can't ever quit Mm -hmm. i think it's a big lesson that you learn you know out there yeah. Well, there's an old saying, it's a lot easier to talk to people than about people. And, um, you know, um, when you're in a small community, if you're talking about people, they're going to hear about it pretty quick. And so um, you'll be talking to them before you know it. Oh, wow. Well, and just to chime in a little bit, because I know we're getting close on time. But oh, you're fine. So one of the craziest things about the rural community, too, you know, is... you. Up here, you teach a kid to drive a car, right? Mm-hmm. So you learn how to drive and everything like that. But, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you know, your kids will, will be your farm help. You know, and you'll you'll be driving a piece of machinery. You know, you'll have a 10, 11-year-old kid driving a piece of machinery that's worth more than some people's houses in, in some cases. You know, so that's kind of the crazy, you know, thing about it. A lot of them drive these old beater trucks and everything like that, but... All the machinery that's in the field from the tractors, the harvesters, the combines, the balers and everything, you know, there's millions of dollars of equipment a lot of times that these kids are operating. Although in Smith Center as kids, we might have learned how to drive by going out to the airport and they had a car out there for people when they'd fly in that they could use. And there might have been kids that went out there and drove that car around on the runway um, when they were 11 and 12 years old but uh allegedly i've heard yeah they, they might have had permission uh or might not 
love it. Oh, you guys, I could listen to these stories forever and ever. They're my favorite. And they do make me want to move my kids to the country. In fact, Dad, I was just talking to you earlier today. Your best friend, Curtis, the cattle farmer, still, well, he won't be raising cattle for much longer, right? But he'll still do wheat. He has how many acres of wheat? Oh, many, many. Many, I've lost track. Right. So I would love to send my kids for a couple of weeks during the summer when they get older to go to experience what this kind of living is like. So I I think we've got a good plan. I'm really looking forward to this here in a couple of years coming to fruition. I, I, th- I think we've got a, a eye-opening experience for the boys coming. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. I, I may be able to help them out with uh, some hay season work too. Like, like Dad said, Owen and them get a couple years older we'll be throwing those wonderful hay bales that you talk about so I can hook them up with that too. sign them up and I mean just to be honest am I too old to work can I work I I kind of want a couple weeks to do this I never got to do this growing up you might want to observe your blessings (laughs) you might want to observe before you sign up fair that's fair okay all right you guys thanks for keeping me company this evening You two have always been incredible examples to me. And you both truly embody the work hard, play hard motto. And I want to be more like you two in that aspect when I grow up. So, thank you. We hope to grow up someday, too. (laughs) I'm still working on it. Never, never (laughs) grow up, never grow up. All right, quick reminder to you lovely listeners, don't forget to post your intentional summer adventures to Instagram and Facebook, tagging us at a underscore four underscore effort underscore podcast along the way. We'll share your outings and give you a shout out. Okay, friends, in the words of Amanda, it's time to put this baby to bed. If you have a minute, rate, review, comment, share, spread the love. Bye.